Hello dear listeners, this is Paige and Yusei, and we are extremely excited to introduce to you our podcast guest, Dr. Naidu. Dr. Naidu is the first ever nutritional psychiatrist and the current director of nutritional and lifestyle psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital. Dr. Naidu has received her MD at Harvard, and she is also a professional chef who graduated from the Cambridge School of Culinary Arts, and she is a trained nutrition specialist. She is also the author of the book, This Is Your Brain on Food. And now we have the honor to present Dr. Naidu, guest of the Synapse podcast. I uh, am a physician, medical doctor, and I completed my psychiatry residency at Harvard, at the Harvard Longwood Psychiatry Residency Training Program, uh, which I enjoyed very much, and um, also have studied nutrition and gone to culinary school. And uh, this for me in an unplanned way by following my passions and my real interests in the field of science and food as medicine and, um, and nutrition have really come together for me in a wonderful way in the work that I do in nutrition and mental health, which is now known as nutritional psychiatry. While the term nutritional psychiatry is newer and more nascent, The truth is that in mental health and in physical health, in medicine in general, we've been looking at nutrients for for many decades. Some of my mentors at the hospital where I work have looked at and studied omega-3 fatty acids, magnesium, folate, and methylfolate. But if you think about how you eat a meal on a composed plate of food, you don't eat one thing or one nutrient. In fact, it's always a composed plate of whatever you're eating, and each thing has many, many nutrients. In a similar way, nutritional psychiatry really brings that together for people and tries to advise them about how to eat for their better brain health and their better mental well-being. In my clinical opinion, a person doesn't have to meet the diagnostic criteria. The DSM-5 is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual that um, prescribers in the United States use and clinicians use in mental health. And the truth is it really does not cover everyone. In my clinical experience now of almost two decades, Many people don't fall into that box and really need help. They may be suffering in many different ways. And that's where I feel that uh, nutrition as an easy thing that any one of us can do, even starting today, becomes very attainable for a person who is on a path to better mental well-being. Um, I especially think it's important during the pandemic where we are trying to fortify mental health um, and struggling a little bit more. That being said, if someone is severely ill, suicidal, manic, or psychotic and has lost touch with reality, while nutrition can be part of their treatment plan, they also need to be in an emergency room and be seeing a doctor more urgently. But uh, that's just a little bit about me and what I do. Thank you so much. Um, So kind of going to your article, Eating During COVID-19, and improving your mood and lowering stress. What would be your main advice for students, high schoolers, college students, graduate students um, in this um, kind of pandemic age? I think that, you know, um, I, I would, I would suggest if they have time to to look at that article because it does offer from very specific guidelines. I think that the first thing I've noticed um, 
is that people are feeling quite badly, and I imagine this also applies to college students, about any, you know, not so great habit we've picked up during the pandemic. Maybe it's, you know, remaining in our PJs all day. Maybe it's um, eating the wrong snack foods. Maybe it's stocking up on foods that we know or have heard are not healthy. Perhaps it's not getting out enough for exercise because we were like in a Zoom cage all day, just online studying, learning, going from one class to the next. Um, and also we're not able to socialize and see our friends as much except online. And I think those things are very hard. They're hard for all of us. And I imagine um, my heart really does go out to college students because it's such an important integrative part of, of one's career, um, as well as high school for that matter. Um, I really felt sad for the you know, the graduating high school students who had to do this, these things virtually. I think it was just such uh, something that we look forward to seeing and sharing. And that was obviously hard. So we've gone into this as the pandemic has continued um, with the, this ongoing uncertainty. And I think the first thing is to figure out for yourself right now and today, is there something I'm doing in my life that's not working? Maybe it's I'm not getting up and doing my usual self-care routine every single day. And when I start my Zoom, I'm still dressed in my college outfit, even if it's casual. Am I doing that or am I kind of just getting up in bed and sitting and using my computer? Um, maybe it's, um, and while there's nothing wrong with that, all I'm saying is maybe the structure might help you feel better and maybe the structure will help you with your health healthier overall habits. Because remember, nutrition is one component of an overall holistic, integrated, functional plan in mental health. And nutrition is one very important component, but sleep, adequate self-care, um, mindfulness, you know, meditation, and all of these different practices, including exercise um, and hydration are important. So I would ask yourself that, and then I would start to work from that and see if there's something that's troubling you that you feel you shouldn't be doing, uh, maybe it's a bad eating habit, then try to step back from that, find an, an healthier option. Maybe it's salty pretzels or potato chips. Maybe it's uh, a candy bar. You know, can you find a, a look at a recipe that I have for like a fruit-based ice cream, which I promise you, any one of you can make in a food processor with really dark, extra dark raw cacao, which has rich, which is rich in flavonoids, great for your brain. Um, and have a scoop of that instead of, you know, the store-bought ice cream or the candy or maybe it's potato chips if you have access to an oven can you make um, a tray off with the spices you love and a drizzle of say avocado oil can you roast up some spinach chips made from scratch you know entirely you know what's going in it's not processed and crunch those and munch those when you're studying instead of the potato chips or pretzels so you know it's about finding a way to get beyond this using healthy healthier uh, pillars and you know some of the pillars I talk about in mental health I can share with you later um, and as a follow-up have any people students reached out to you during this pandemic to kind of ask for that advice or just recommendations? Yes, on my Instagram uh, and other social platforms, and that platform is at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O, -O, which is at Dr. Uma Naidu. A lot of students have reached out, uh, either wanting to learn more about this area because they are struggling themselves and are feeling if they learned something that could help them in the moment, or asked about a course that they could do or learn more about their self-care. 
Um, but also, you know, people have reached out because I am a, a psychiatrist and an MD and just wanting help. And, and so we, we're not on social media, you know, we cannot give medical advice, right? But we can guide them to resources or toll-free helplines. And fortunately, thank goodness, we've never had an emergency where someone's reached out. People are definitely not feeling good, you know, and um, I, I don't want to be a, a Debbie Downer, but, but and I just use that expression loosely, but, but people are not having a good time and it's it's hard you know i met a met a college student virtually uh that i've known for a long time and their family friends and she's having such a hard time because the first semester she was on campus and now you know everything is virtual and she's feeling disoriented she doesn't know which day is sunday versus wednesday and that she's having a hard time getting that structure together for her this is a really smart student so i think that you know it's not associated with intelligence or how organized you are this is just a hard time for a lot of people so yes people have reached out and we try our best to guide them towards appropriate resources great i think that's a, a really interesting point that you brought up it's not um it's not easy to get organized and develop your own routine when you went from a lot of structure to absolutely none. So I think that's important. Um, so my next question would be with the recent increase in vegetarian and vegan diets in the United States, how might a plant-based diet affect the chemistry or cognitive function of the brain, especially in the early stages of transitioning to one of those diets? You know, I think that that's a great question. Um, there's a very strong plant-rich, plant-based movement in the United States. And I think that the studies in nutrition and mental health have certainly shown that consuming a Mediterranean diet, as have been shown in a few trials, large ones, um, that uh, they do improve symptoms of, say, mood disorders. But as I say that, I want to place this in context for you around nutrition, nutritional science and nutritional epidemiology. The context of that is that, as I quote a study today, you could literally go to a, a proper research engine and find academic studies that offer, offer a different opinion. Why is that? I vet and value a study based on several different criteria, but also it doesn't necessarily, I don't discount animal studies because, for example, if you're testing intermittent fasting, you can't euthanize humans to look at the brain, but you can do that to mouse models and study animals and check the autophagy and other symptoms that you can literally look at the brain, but you can't do that with humans. So the other point is that a small study in nutritional science or nutritional epidemiology shouldn't necessarily just be discounted. We still have to look at the, the, the scientific tenets and how that study was set up. Um, I also happen to look at conflicts of interest because if a study is saying X food is the best and it's funded by a certain industry, then that's obviously a conflict. So I think that's important too. Um, and I think that where I'm at in answering this question is, I think that I feel that to help mental health uh, individuals or individuals with their mental well-being, I have to be diet agnostic, meaning that whether someone is carnivore or vegan, I try my best because they're coming in to a psychiatrist, nutritional psychiatrist, asking for help with their mental well-being. So it's not for me to say, hey, you know, you should give up this or give up that. Also, psychologically speaking, no one likes to be told, oh, stop eating that. Because when you do that, people have this boomerang effect. And three weeks later, they're eating all, all of that and gaining weight and not feeling good. And I've seen it happen. I think to answer the question very specifically, Paige, it depends on the person. 
if you feel that you want to go plant-based or plant-rich diet, make sure of certain things. For example, in vegan diets and pure vegetarian diets, if you're not consuming any meat or seafood, you're not likely going to get vitamin B12 and you might be low on that. So you might want to check with your doctor, just test your levels or have him or her decide what you need done. Make sure that you're getting a balanced diet, even if you're using a plant-rich or plant-based diet. Um, make sure that you know, you're also checking on things like depending on where you live in the far northeast, we should be checking vitamin D or we should just take a, take a supplement at least at a very basic level. I personally always like to check a level before I supplement something. Um, so there are things like that that come into it. I also feel that two of the important trends to watch for in certainly in my space of nutrition and mental health or nutritional psychiatry are the ketogenic diet which uh, is certainly showing some evidence which we need to follow uh, quite closely, as well as intermittent fasting and the fasting types of diets. And I don't think we have enough evidence yet to make clear recommendations in mental health, but I'm watching those studies closely. Um, there was one study published a couple of weeks ago um, on um, the ketogenic diet and the cognition and Alzheimer's disease. So, you know, I don't think we can just ignore these. And of course, you know, the ketogenic diet, there can be a ver version of ketogenic that is vegetarian, but for the most part, the ketogenic diet is sort of, um, you know, is, is not, not necessarily just formally vegetarian. Great. Yeah. So my, my kind of follow-up question, which you've uh, answered partially is about dietary supplements. So they are somewhat controversial with some people claiming they are unnecessary and other praising them um, for supposed benefits. As a nutritional psychiatrist, um, obviously it's an individual decision for each patient, but what is your overall opinion or uh, two cents? Sure. So I think that appropriate supplementation is appropriate, meaning that, um, say, you're short on vitamin D. Absolutely. You know, you can get it through food sources, but you can also take a supplement to buff up your level faster. Secondly, supplements are not FDA regulated in the United States. So I would always make sure you have a discussion with the doctor. Why do I say that? Because, for example, I talk about whole, whole, you know, be whole, uh, eat whole, be whole. So, you know, eat the orange, skip the store-bought orange juice. There's many more nutrients, fiber, vitamins in the actual orange versus the added sugar in a processed orange juice. But here's the thing. Grapefruit is a pretty healthy fruit, right? But if you're on certain medications, it can be deadly and it can be it can can cause significant side effects because of some interactions with liver enzymes. That is why even with supplementation, I suggest speak to a doctor because he or she will know the other medications you're taking or your mental, your your physical and mental health conditions or symptoms and be able to better advise you. The third point about it is certain studies in nutrition and mental health, I really do think supplementation is helpful. I think that if people feel they cannot eat enough pre and probiotic foods, a healthy probiotic that they tolerate is, is great to add on to a diet. Um, and lastly, I think that you know certain studies have shown a significant amount of evidence for saffron, the spice, and depression. But if, if you've seen or ever tasted or worked with saffron in the kitchen, they are tiny threads, very highly expensive spice. It's very delicately flavoring, um, you know, paella or risotto or um, in Indian food, it's biryani. But, 
you know, it's not probably enough. You can use it as a culinary spice, but it's not enough probably to have that benefit. In instance like that, you would speak to someone like me or another doctor and say, well, I really want to use this to help my depression. What supplement should I use? So I think there's a, there's a place for them, but with appropriate guidance and not just picking things out of, you know, an unvetted source um, and looking it up on the internet and saying, oh, this is this blog says that it really needs to come from well-vetted source, um, reliable so that your health is protected. Thank you so much for your answer. Um, uh, speaking of kind of spices and culinary arts and just cooking, um, can you elaborate a little bit on your time at the Culinary Institute of America and just becoming a professional chef? Um, what have been the most memorable moments and what are some of the experience that kind of led you to pursue a career in nutritional psychiatry from there? Um, and just in general, how was the experience there? Sure. So being at culinary school was one of my favorite experiences, um, even though it was very hard. And thinking back, I can honestly say I'm not quite sure other than being purely driven by passion and love for the subject, how I was able to cope with the work hours and workload of managing the different things that I was managing. Um, you know, I, I felt a very important connection when I spent some time at the Culinary Institute in Hyde Park. Um, and I really would have loved to have studied there, but my work life was in Boston as a physician and I couldn't live between two cities and, and two locations to full study full-time at culinary school. But what that experience did for me is it really reconnected me with how much I loved the subject and that I came to cooking uh, myself later in life, meaning that I grew up in a large Indian family lots of cooks in the kitchen, mothers, grandmothers, older cousins. And I wasn't really, my help wasn't really needed. So I would hang around because I loved food and ask questions. And I learned to bake at an early age with someone else managing the oven, of course, because my mom is a double-boarded physician and she recognized early that I loved science. So she taught me to measure. And cut to, you know, my uh, early adulthood and I'm studying and everyone realizes the family, she can't cook, she can bake, she can eat cook, you know, cake alone. And of course that wasn't a healthy choice. So um, I, my journey in cooking began really around getting recipes from my mom and emails and, and phone calls and texts and all of this to get, to get up to speed. But as I did so, I couldn't afford public, I couldn't afford um, cable television. So I'd watch, watch public television while I was studying and Julia Child's was the, the face of, you know, uh, the French chef of this show. And it really helped grow confidence in me. And it, it, it was what led to me spending time at the Culinary Institute. And I really felt that my heart was set on finding a way to study the culinary arts. And in short, I returned to Boston and worked towards finding a way that I could balance my MD schedule as a practicing physician and still study at a school, but I studied at a wonderful local school and Julia Child was a patron of the school. In fact, her home in Cambridge was around the corner where she actually lived, uh, although by that time she had passed. Um, so it really came full circle for me. And I, some of my most memorable experiences was firstly, you really do get yelled at. And um, I um, actually, 
understood that I, I, I could not be scared of the, my, my head chefs. I had to speak up for myself if they asked me questions because, you know, they, they yell and they just, they, as you see on television, I don't, I, th I don't think they're quite foul-mouthed as it may seem on television. They're actually not foul-mouthed. Ours, our chefs are not. They were very professional. But, you know, they would kind of tell you, um, give you direct instruction. But I felt that um, my, my culinary experience really was, an, was amazing. And in my final exam, um, I, you know, constantly felt I was doing well in my, my tests and things like that. But I always felt like I was behind the eight ball, you know, I was studying while being out for dinner. I was studying at birthday parties with my family because I was doing all of it at the same time. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, um, trying to do it that way. For me, it was the time of life I was in and wanting to do it. But the, I was asked, to, uh, the final exam is to represent yourself on a plate. And so I had to bring together my uh, cultural uh, background, my love of food and the different things I had learned. And it was a very successful exam. And I ended up, the reason I bring this point forward is I really felt, you know, I'm just getting through culinary school and I'm going to pass and I'll figure out what to do afterwards. But I ended up doing extremely well in my exam and, and won one of the most prestigious awards in the school. And that to me was very heartfelt because I was working so hard, constantly thinking I was at a disadvantage. But what it taught me and what I will share about that is when you do something that you truly love to do, um, and you know, I'm, I'm split between creativity and uh, the arts as well as hardcore science, but I love all of those things and I love good food. You do find a way. and. That exam was a great example to me, and I share it with many, as many people as I can, is that when you're inspired, it comes together for you and you can bring your best self forward. Um, I had very little time to prepare for the exam, but I sat and I spoke to members of my family and I thought deeply about who was I, they ask you to represent yourself on a plate, a very hard question, you know, who am I, you know, and I, I brought together my cultural background, foods I grew up eating, and my love for spices um, to, to create that. And I, and, and I was, I, I was the most surprised when I won that award. Um, but again, it left me realizing that this was something I should take seriously. And it was okay to embrace it and not just have it as a hobby. And that's when I really um, switched into, oh, well, I'm, I'm working as a medical doctor, so I can't go and work in a restaurant. I, I can't manage that. But how else can I use my training as a professional chef? And, and that's how I started to really more uh, accurately integrate it into my clinical work. A wonderful story. I think just um, for myself that gives me some some hope, especially during these really uncertain times and the job market and everything that if you're really passionate, it will definitely come together. And it's beautiful that it's intersected so well for you. Um, so our next question is, um, you suggest, uh, as we've seen like on social media, that the gut microbiome influences the brain. And uh, can you elaborate on this and uh, how so? Sure. So, you know, some of the most emerging research is around the gut-brain axis in different conditions. And in mental health, while not every single clinician may embrace that fact, really through the research I did for my book, I've understood so much more about this realistic connection. In chapter one of my book, I talk about the gut-brain connection because the gut and the brain arise from the same cells in the embryo, from the neural crest cells. And then these organs separate out in different parts of the body. And most people would think, well, 
It's in the same body, but they're pretty far apart. But then they're connected by the 10th cranial nerve, the vagus nerve, um, and they're connected throughout our lives. So the vagus nerve serves as this two-way superhighway, um, you know, uh, that is, is bi-directional chemical messages traveling back and forth. Then, um, you know, people may not realize that serotonin, while we call it the happiness hormone, and it is the hormone, uh, it is serotonin is what the medications are based on. Many of the psychopharmacology uh, medications and psychotropics are based on that. Um, but serotonin receptors, more than 90% are in the gut itself. So that's an important fact to be able to understand of where these reactions are occurring. Um, and then the fact that um, there are 39 odd trillion microbes living in the gut, and they're there to help us, but they can also harm us and set up inflammation if we eat the wrong way or we're very stressed in many different conditions that lead to that imbalance in the microbiome called dysbiosis. And I feel like the fourth important one thing for people to understand is a large part of our immunity is in the gut. So these times it's really important to be eating in a, in a better way for our better immunity. Putting that together, what that means to a person is that in a 24-hour period, research has shown that you can change the nature of your microbiome. So if I choose to go to a fast food restaurant right now today, or I decide that where I am, it's going to be lunch in a few hours. If I choose a healthy option for lunch, a great cooling glass of water, um, you know, uh, maybe a salad with a, a, a source of protein that goes well with it, rich colors, uh, rich uh, vegetables, with different colors on my plates, maybe some berries, uh, a lower glycemic fruit to add in, nuts, seeds, legumes, things like that, and think, consider that for lunch. I am right then making a decision about how my gut bacteria and my gut microbes are impacted. I may not see it or feel it immediately, but down the road, I'm either moving towards setting up inflammation in my gut or working towards a healthier gut. It's one or the other. And I think that that's important for people to understand. When the gut becomes inflamed, one of the ways, not, not the only way, but one big way is how we eat. And there's inflammation set up. That actually feeds back to neuroinflammation. And that becomes important in terms of worsening of symptoms or setting up symptoms in a person who previously hasn't been struggling. And I feel like those things are incredibly useful for people just to have an understanding of um, as they make, as they make uh, nutrition choices. Great. Um, really appreciated that answer. I think that's um, something that... I discuss in school and it's, it's just a very interesting connection. So we have kind of a fun question. If you had to pick a single food or maybe you can make it three, um, <laughs> what has the most positive impact on the brain? So I think that um, the first one is uh, turmeric with a pinch of black pepper. Um, not necessarily in, you know, in an order of magnitude, but in order of three things I would consider important. Because curcumin in turmeric is very powerful and it's activated by the pepperine in black pepper to make it more bioavailable by some studies say up to 2000% to the body and the brain. So, and and turmeric has hit the high notes in studies of cognition, depression, anxiety, just to name a few. It's actually in almost every chapter of my book. Um, and it really, and it's based on the research. So even if you don't cook with it, even if you're, you know, 
studying from home, you can add a quarter teaspoon of an organic version of turmeric if you can get it. Most, most supermarket aisles now have the dried spice, a pinch of black pepper to a super smoothie, um, a tea, um, a chia pudding, uh, all of which are great. So, so I think that's one. The other is omega-3 fatty acids have a significant amount of research in both depression, anxiety, and a few other conditions because of the powerful anti-inflammatory and antioxidant effect. But here's the thing, you know, the salmon actually, um, salmon being a fatty fish uh, and a, a good source of that is a great way to get your omega-3s. But they actually get their, um, their uh, omega-3s from the krill and the um, sea algae that they eat. So they're also plant-based sources of um, speaking to, you know, plant-based diets. They're also plant-based sources of omega-3s. They're the ALA, and they can be found in flax seeds, chia seeds, basil seeds, um, sea algae, uh, sea vegetables, and algae. So you can get it that way. And the hack for that is that curcumin and turmeric helps the conversion. So if, say, you're having a chia pudding, just toss in some turmeric, pinch of black pepper, because it helps the conversion uh, to longer-chain fatty acid become more efficient. My third, my third category is a tough one, because I feel like it's more of a... It's more of a category of what, what targets the gut in a positive way. And it could be fiber, which comes from fruit, vegetables, beans, nuts, seeds, legumes, healthy whole grains, if you eat those things or some of those things. But it could also be equally important pre, prebiotic and fermented foods for your gut. So the third category is best ways to target my gut. Well, a and B of what I suggested help the gut. The third category I feel should be really focused on what can I do right now today to help those microbes along. And so it would be gut healthy foods and two of those categories are fiber rich foods and the other category is prebiotics and fermented foods. Thank you so much. That's super insightful. So could you talk a little bit more about your recent book, This Is Your Brain on Food? Um, and why would even for high school and college students in particular, would you recommend reading this book um, and kind of getting to know more about it? Thank you. Um, so I wrote a book based on the fact that many of my patients, as I pursued this field, were really coming in being very confused about what to eat. Whatever they read, whatever they looked up in a Google search was confusing to them. And they wanted a better source to improve their mental well-being. I therefore decided to look at the research behind what I wrote about and put it together, dividing it up into how to understand the gut-brain axis and then going through different diagnostic categories. But it doesn't mean that you have to meet these diagnostic categories to use the book and eat for better mental well-being. So that's where I think it would be super helpful to, um, you know, to students, whether in school, high school, or, or college, even, you know, uh, even beyond uh, college as well. Because food and nutrition, eating, what is something we all do, we do that every day anyway. And it's a very easy, low-hanging fruit to be able to change um, how we feel emotionally. So the way that the book goes is that I describe different conditions, the research behind them, written in a very uh, digestible way so that 
I know that this particular um, Synapse podcast will have people who want to know the science, and I love that. So everything is referenced, but it's written in a way that you could talk to people about it. But there are like 553 references at the back of the book that you can look up and read the actual articles on. Um, and I think you might enjoy that. So in every chapter, we talk, I talk about foods to embrace and foods to avoid because my patients... And clinically, it's really important to know things that are worsening your symptoms. For example, in anxiety and stress, things like artificial sweetness and actual added sugar worsen symptoms, and that's important to know. Processed vegetable oils, which are often found because they're relatively inexpensive, they're often used by faster uh, fast food restaurants and food chains in some instances, not everyone obviously, but processed vegetable oils actually worsen anxiety. So that's where those lists of things to embrace and things to avoid um, are really helpful. And chapter 11 has easy recipes. Remember, I didn't start off life cooking, so I made it, made it this is not about making a souffle, uh, or a wedding cake. It's just about making sure you can eat nutritiously wherever you are. And um, it really pairs up with different chapters of the book and the food. So we tried, I tried to use the foods and from the different chapters and create the recipes that go along with it. It released in the United States August 4th and it released in uh, the United Kingdom under different names, same book, um, on September, in September. And in overseas, in some countries, it's called the Food Mood Connection. And the United States, it's called, and Canada, it's called the This Is Your Brain on Food. And it has become a best-selling book in Canada, so we're very proud of that. Uh, as you can imagine, it's been very hard to share this uh, during a pandemic, so we feel proud about that, but but only hope we can continue to share the, the broader message with more people, um, you know, how to eat for your better mental well-being, especially right now. Well, congratulations on the success. We wish you'd continue success with the book. Thank um, you. Thank you so much for your time and presence today on this and Epps podcast. We had such a great time talking to you and uh, hearing your expertise on nutritional psychiatry. So unless you have anything um, to add, this is where we'll conclude the interview. Well, thank you both. It's been wonderful speaking to you. And I hope, I hope that the information is of value to um, your participants. Thanks. Simply Neuroscience and the Synapse Podcast again want to say a big thank you to Dr. Naidu for all of her expertise and advice. And you can buy her book, This Is Your Brain on Food, on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, or on Apple Books now. And the link will be in the description of this podcast. <laughs>